Our passage today is taken from Exodus. It is the well-known passage of Moses and burning of the bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying. Crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. I was in bed, and the phone rang. I looked at the clock. Hours before I would get up, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. My three-year-old was fast asleep, my wife next to me. I picked up the phone, and this is what I heard. If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? (laughs) This is true. This happened to me when I was about 30 years old. What the? (laughs) Groggy. Stunned, I replied, I I trust what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And he hung up. Bizarre. Totally bizarre. But it did happen. As I reflected on it today, who would pull such a stunt? What was the caller's purpose? Was it a way to evangelize? Was he trying to stir doubt and fear inside of me? Engage in a conversation? Maybe aiming me toward a, a conversion? Or maybe he thought, hey, this is a Presbyterian pastor, and not, they don't believe the right things. They don't have the right theory of atonement. You know, there are a number of theories of atonement. These are explanations of how God puts us right and reconciles us to God and forgives us of our sins. And there's a number of them. There's a ransom theory. There's a substitution theory. There's a scapegoat. There's a satisfaction theory. There's Christ the Victus theory. Which one? If we had talked further, I wonder if he would insist on the right one. Vitally important to him. Because if he didn't have the right one, you would not have salvation. But, you see, the fact that he called me 2 a.m. in the morning revealed to me that he vitally lacked, he vitally lacked 
the consequence of salvation. A consequence that makes being a Christian every single day a joy. So today, if I received some kind of a call like that, I would have said, yes, yes, I am saved beyond this life, but there is so much more to salvation. Salvation is about the here and the now, in this life. Now, the critical historical event that propelled the story of salvation is the story of Moses. Moses is the beginning, Jesus is the end. This is the event, the burning bush that God uses to recruit Moses to be the leader. And in fact, if you think about it, no Moses, no Old Testament. No Exodus. No Passover. No new promised land. The day that Moses saw that burning bush not being consumed was strange and mysterious. And so he walked over to see it. And out of nowhere came that voice, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Now, this was just maybe the 20 feet? No, not just the 20 feet around the bush. This was the whole mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, the one where Moses would talk with God, the one where he would receive the Ten Commandments. Yes, but the Lord started with Moses, ended with Jesus. The angel Gabriel told Mary that this baby of hers was going to save the people from their sins. And Christ did. God in Christ expanded the geography of holiness. Not just Mount Sinai, not just a burning bush, but the whole world. Every square inch of this earth is holy because of what God's done in Jesus Christ on that cross. And that means your house on the plot you're on is holy. That means where you work is holy. That means this place is holy. That means the grocery store is holy. That means every single place is holy. Even Gaza's holy. All because of what God did around 30 A.D. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all. Once. Once. And for all people. One of our confessions in 1967 says it this way. In giving himself freely for them, Jesus took upon himself the judgment under which all men stand convicted. God raised him from the dead, vindicating him as Messiah and Lord. The victim of sin became victor and won the victory over sin 
and death for all men. I bet the caller that night would agree with that. But due to the fact that he called me at 2 a.m., disrupting my sleep, he clearly showed his lack of understanding of salvation. It was too short-sighted. It was too minuscule. He, as well as all of us, can learn more about salvation from Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho. It was about 10,000 people at the time. Surrounded by a huge crowd of people just following him along the way. There were a lot of <laughs> Jesus people hanging around him. And Zacchaeus heard the commotion. Now, Zacchaeus is a very small man. The average man back in that time was five feet, five inches. He wasn't five feet. He was four foot something. Maybe eight, four foot ten. His entire life, he looked up at people. <laughs> Imagine being a child out there and playing, and kids made fun of him. Disregarded on the playground. He felt small. He was a joke in Jericho. You could hear it now. Zacchaeus, would you please stand up? Zacchaeus, are you standing? As an adult, he felt disrespected, ignored. Maybe even his parents felt ashamed of him. And those feelings packed inside of his chest, crowding them, ricocheting around on each other, insults rumbling constantly in his mind, daily reminders, internally squeezing him. A tightness making him grumpy, on edge, ready to strike out at the slightest insult. So there came a time when he had to support himself. And he had to choose what was he going to do. He couldn't depend on his parents forever. Ah, I will become a tax collector. Yes, people will be forced to respect me. I'll collect taxes for these occupying foreigners. And if somebody doesn't want to pay their tax, I'm going to bring in the army. And they're going to have to pay. Yes. So proficient of collecting taxes, he was the chief tax collector, the four foot eight guy. So he became a very wealthy man. They dared not cross him, or they would pay. He didn't care if he was called a collaborator. He didn't care if he was called a Roman stooge. Now, undersized Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, no doubt. Things traveled fast in those days. He'd healed some lepers. He had parables about a lost sheep that kind of got around. And then, 
Word came to him of what Jesus did just outside of Jericho. He actually healed the blind man who sat there at the city gate. A blind man, the people that passed every single day, he had been there for years. Everybody knew him. And he healed them. He healed them. Incredible. Incredible. So Jesus is coming. And Zacchaeus wants to catch a glimpse of this man. Crowds were filling the little tiny narrow streets. And there's, there's Zacchaeus. Once again, he's so short, he can't see anything. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run over here, and I am going to climb up on a tree, and I'm going to see Jesus. He had to see Jesus. He took an extraordinary effort, but he wanted to see him. And then Jesus came, got closer and closer and closer and closer And Jesus looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, he said, come down. I am going to stay at your house. Stay at my house? Stay at my house? He would host this miracle man. People grumbled and muttered. Stay at the house of the sinner. (laughs) Zacchaeus was deaf to all these insults. Jesus recognized him. He recognized this runt of a man. This ostracized one. Jesus shined on. His eyes shined in on Zacchaeus. His love, his compassion. And there was a sense of acceptance and and grace flowing inside of Zacchaeus' chest. And the Spirit of God reached down into the depths of Zacchaeus. His size no longer mattered to him. His desire to be big and respected That desire dissolved. His chest no longer felt cramped. A new openness. His mind darted to those past dishonest dealings. Times when he used the army to overpower those reluctant taxpayers. Many of whom he outright cheated. So Zacchaeus scrambles down to the ground. He announces to the entire crowd, look, Lord, heads up, everyone. Here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to repay them back four times. Mouths opened. (laughs) Eyes bugged out. They couldn't believe what they were We're hearing. The people were stunned. And hearing this declaration coming from the mouth of Zacchaeus, Jesus says, 
Today, salvation has come to this house. One. And then he goes on and says, in a sense, and this is what the heard, people heard, the one who you thought were not part of God's people is part of God's people. <laughs> Zacchaeus must have felt seven feet tall. Don't you think about it? He must have felt seven feet tall. The man who had just healed this blind man is going to come and stay in his house. Worker of wonders. This worker of wonders publicly affirmed Zacchaeus' worth and his value in front of all those people who had mocked him. Some had mocked him for years. A man despised by so many. So friends, Zacchaeus becomes an object lesson. He becomes an object lesson for those standing around in that moment. Jesus then announces his life's purpose and calling. He, this man, he's an example He's an example of what I have come to do, son of man, to seek out and save the lost. The Greek word here is, is apapolomai. That's the Greek word for lost here. And it means those in, who stay in the feeling of being marred inside. Those who are feeling even destroyed. Those are perishing. When Jesus said this, what he basically is saying is, when I find these people, I'm going to act in ways that are going to save them from that state that they're in. Being marred or crumbling, pieces of them just being destroyed, perishing, being lost. The same word that Jesus used in this context is also used in the Gospel of John when the writer says, puts what Jesus said, I've come not to judge the world, but to save the world. And here's his Greek word, sozo. The Greek word for salvation, it means to save, to heal, to make whole, to make deliver. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Zacchaeus. He saved him from the marred identity. He healed him from his hurts. He delivered him from a life of vindictiveness, that brokenness inside of him, that was that corrosiveness inside of him. And Zacchaeus was on the way to becoming whole inside. But there's more. Yes, there's more. Zacchaeus experienced what Old Testament writers often connected to salvation. And it's called yasha. And we see it up here on the board. Yasha. Let's say that together. Yasha. That's often connected. That's often connected 
being set free into a spacious place rather than being in a confined, constricted place. In fact, you read about that earlier in the worship service. We find it here. We find it essentially, see, we look at the next slide here and we find You've referred to this earlier in the worship service. See, yasha means to be free from what binds and restricts, thus to deliver and to rescue. And the next slide shows what you read earlier in the service. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. A space. See, that made sense. David, when he was being chased after by his enemies, he would get up into on a rock and he'd say, God's my salvation. In other words, you guys can shoot arrows up here. You can, hey, you can't reach me. I'm in a spacious, salvation in the Old Testament is connected to spaciousness. Yasha. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Jesus looking at him triggered an expansion inside of Zacchaeus. His heart and soul no longer felt cramped. A new spaciousness inside grew inside. An internal experience of God's spirit working and dwelling inside of him. What happens next? That spaciousness gets acted out. The spaciousness that he feels, being seven foot tall now, gets acted out. I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and anybody I treated, I am going to pay them back four times. God's loving presence opened and spurred him to do righteousness. In other words, to do things that bring about the right relationships as God intended. All those whom he cheated, he knew that he had cheated them. He knew it was not the right relationship he should have. And to rectify the past, what's he do? He does a specific act. I'm going to pay you four four times over. I'm going to give to the poor. He does justice. To make things right. That's what genuine salvation brings about within people. Within us. God's love enters our hearts, triggering within us a spaciousness inside of us that gives us a divine identity and a divine desire to love as freely as we have been loved. And that is the part of salvation. That caller didn't understand. Or didn't know. Or forgot about. 
the species of salvation that prompts one to love people with the same grace that wipes away forgiving sins, that gives a person a complete assurance that they will one time go on beyond this life and live with God. That kind of salvation doesn't call people two in the morning. It doesn't do it. True? True. Hey, friends, the good news today is that we can accept salvation. The salvation of spaciousness. When we believe Jesus died for our sins, we say, yes, I accept what you've done. Here's what I've done. And we tell them what's true. And all the sins amazingly, are gone. Put right with God. Forgiven and valued. And that means every single day, you can wake up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and say, good morning, son of God. Good morning, daughter of God. Good morning, child of God. And as we accept that identity, we leave behind all those hurtful messages, all those experiences that dispute the Christ-one identity given to us by Christ. Plus, we never need to fear about death. You and I having eternal home. But from Zacchaeus, we also learn the second part of salvation on this earth. The experience of God's spacious love inside of us empowers us to find ways to live out this spacious love within ourselves first. Friends, God wants to rescue and deliver you and me from whatever binds us, whatever captivates us, whatever keeps us broken and weighing us down, even maybe enslaves us to harmful, life-sapping, marred feelings, desires, and behavior. The question is, do you want that? That's the question. And friends, we all ask it. Whether we say it out loud or not. Do I want it? So here, for him to see Jesus, Jesus, Zacchaeus goes and climbs up a tree. We need to want to see Jesus. We must let Nothing to block us from letting Jesus see us. And that requires a conscious act. We don't need to climb up on a tree. Today or this next week, we can take a time, be quiet, and pray. Jesus, you said you came to seek and save the lost, those marred, 
of what you intended for their lives. I want your spacious salvation in my life. Jesus, I invite you to reach in inside of me and dissolve the habits, the tendencies, the feelings, the priorities, the values that are restricting me, are cramping me, marring me, binding me, and maybe even enslaving me. And we name them. We name them. One by one. I want you, we can say, I want you to heal me, make me whole, deliver me. from what all this is doing in my life. How that's eroding, destroying me on the inside and my relationships. And instead, I want you to replace it with your yasha spaciousness. Now, we may need to say this prayer more than once. We may need to stay up in that so-called tree of prayer more than once. Putting ourselves consciously in front of Jesus. But as we pray that, and as we want that, God's mysterious spirit moves us inwardly, giving us more of the grace and the love and the compassion and the acceptance that Zacchaeus felt. More of that in our life. And as that happens, what, what occurs within us is we discover there's a second part of, space, of salvation in this life. Zacchaeus felt that inside of him. And then... He acted it out. He spoke about what he did, what he was going to do, and then he did it. You see, friends, as God's spacious salvation grows and expands on the inside, new desires grow up inside of us. And we see fresh ways. We're more motivated to live out that yashas, yasha spaciousness out in the world. Aiming to do those things, to say those words, to behave in those ways, to bring about the kind of relationship that Jesus came. For the world to know, for your family to know, for your marriage to know, for this community to know. And as we do this, that you and I will know the ultimate goal of why God called Moses.
Amen.